welcome to Our Parents Did What? A tour of the parenting perils of yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hi, Diane. Hi, Jen. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So we're very excited and a little bit nervous because even though like when you're listening to this, it is not the first episode, but this is the first episode we're recording because we didn't want to put all that pressure on ourselves for the first one you guys get to hear. So No, because then we would sound incredibly awkward and you'd wonder why. Yep. So you get to, you get to hear that in episode like two or three instead. Once you like us already. Yes. Then you get to hear the awkwardness. Exactly. You're you're already bought in. You you love us. You're part of the family. <laughs> um, it works. Yes, exactly. Why don't we start off with our mom moment of the week? So what would you like to share? Um, Well, my mom moment this week, I would say, is a little bit of a less comical one, but hopefully people will, I don't know, maybe it will resonate with somebody. As Jen knows, because we are sisters-in-law and we've known each other a long time, I have had a breastfeeding journey that didn't go exactly as I had planned or hoped. My daughter is having trouble nursing um, for a variety of reasons. They thought she had a tongue tie. Then they said she didn't have a tongue tie. Then they said she had a lip tie. And then she does have a lip tie, but they're not going to snip it. It's There's a lot going on. Uh, she has some some difficulty latching and some trouble nursing. And Jen knows I've tried essentially everything. <laughs> and you know, we went to a doctor this week and we got a lot of things looked at. And I had a moment yesterday after seeing the doctor, you know, my baby is healthy. Uh, my baby is happy. It actually happened because we got home and uh, I had given her a bottle, which I don't love to do, but um, she had had a bottle of pumped breast milk. And then we were playing and she was laughing and she was so happy and she was smiling and giggling and she's just started giggling a couple weeks ago. And, and it hit me that, you know, she's happy. She's gaining weight. Uh, she can latch onto the bottle uh, and she eats just fine from the bottle and she nurses at night before she goes to bed just fine and overnight she nurses when she's drowsy, no problem. It just hit me that she's healthy, she's gaining weight, she's clearly happy, she's smiling and I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do and it's going to be okay and my breastfeeding experience is different than what I expected but it's it's going to be just as special and it's going to be fine because as Jen reminded me last time I talked to her on the phone, uh, a year from now, this will be not as big of a deal and uh, breastfeeding is not going to be forever. So for any other moms out there who are struggling, um, I feel your pain and it is definitely difficult when things don't go the way you expected, but you'll get through it. And regardless of how it turns out, if you nurse sometimes, if you decide you're not going to nurse and pump, if you decide you're not going to nurse and start formula, um, if your baby is eating and she's happy and she's healthy, you're good. So what about you? Well, so my son Joey is three and he recently became super, super interested in baseball. I don't particularly know why all of a sudden out of nowhere. I think somebody got him a baseball bat for his birthday and he was just like, oh, well, now I'm a baseball player and I play baseball. And he really, really, really wants to learn how to hit the ball. But he's three and that's really hard to do. Like that hand-eye coordination, those gross motor skills just haven't really fully developed yet. So 
uh, the other day we were in the backyard and he was like, mama, throw me the ball. I'm going to hit it. And I was like, okay. So I'm like tossing the ball over and over again, trying to use counting as a way for him to time his swing. Right. And I realize that every time I say three, he swings, but I'm saying three when the ball leaves my hand. So he's swinging super early. So I realized, wait a minute, I just need to change me. He's doing fine. Like, he's swinging appropriately. Like, everything's good. So all I did was just change my counting so that when I let go of the ball was not when I said three. I said three exactly, like, when it was going to be in the right spot for him to hit it. And then he hit it every time. Oh, my <laughs> so God. I was like, yeah, Mom, you did it. Woo, woo. Because That's he a just great felt, Mom moment. It was great. He felt so proud of himself. And I felt proud of myself because I had, like – problem solved how to help him Seriously. do his best so it was it was a really good moment <laughs> oh i am proud of you and joey thank you you're welcome <laughs> all right so what are we talking about in the wild history of parenting today Today, we are talking about baby food. Ooh, ah! baby food. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually so interesting to research, and I did not know most of this, so I'm very excited to share it with you mm -hmm. and take you through uh, the history from the 1800s Ooh. all the way to present day. That's exciting. Are you ready? I am ready. As ready well, as I'm going to be. Hop in our little time machines. Ooh. And we're going to go back to prior to the 1880s. Here we go. <laughs> prior to the 1880s, there was absolutely no category of food called baby food. So we're not going to stay here very long. <laughs> it just was not a thing. Okay. Um, prior to the 1880s, they really just fed babies either um, wheat gruel or like beef broth. Excellent. <laughs> Basically like... Very what they thought were like iron rich foods that mm -hmm. would um, would fortify you, that would make you strong, they thought. Um, so nothing really nutritional. They actually um, they didn't want to give babies vegetables and fruits at all because they, they didn't know much about vitamins and minerals yet, but also because it's a natural laxative. And they were actually worried about that. They were like, no, no, no. We don't want our babies to be pooping a lot, so we're not <laughs> going to give them fruits and vegetables. We are only going to give them wheat gruel. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is – I feel like this episode is going to go really well with our diaper episode when we get to that because uh, there there is some crossover in that mentality and that thinking, let me oh, tell perfect. you. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> some of the stuff you look at it – and I know we've discussed this before, but you just go like – Oh my God, how stupid. Yes. <laughs> but, like, but why they would they do that? Know. Yes, right. exactly. No. <laughs> so that's fine. It was essentially what they were doing was they were giving babies the same food that they would give sick people mm -hmm. in hospitals who couldn't okay. eat because that was all they knew. Yeah. Um, but once we get into the early 1920s, things start to change. So we're going to go over to Rochester, New York, and we're going to say hello to Mr. Harold Clapp. <laughs> Which I just think his name is so funny. Of course Harold it is. Clapp. <laughs> and Harold Clapp, he had a sick child and he decided he was going to come up with a vegetable broth that he was going to feed his child to make him feel better. And it turned out that this vegetable broth worked, made his kid feel good. He started to have regular bowel movements again, you know, who's feeling fine. Mm 
So his neighbors were all like, oh, this is awesome. I would love this recipe. You know, can I get in on this? Mm -hmm. So he gives out the recipe to his neighbors. And in Rochester, it starts to get really popular. And before he knows it, he started the Clap Foods Company. And he (laughs) discovers baby food. He makes the very first actual vegetable baby food. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Very nice. So Harold Clapp starts it all. But meanwhile... Uh, Later in the 1920s, around 1927, we'll take a little trip to Michigan and meet the Gerbers, which I'm sure sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those Gerbers. I thought it was interesting that the Gerbers have been in the game since the beginning. Wow. They They are right at the top of their game from the 1920s. So Sally Gerber was told by her pediatrician that she should feed her baby um, some strained vegetables. So she goes home, she gets in her kitchen, and she makes her little strained vegetables. And then she decides, well, hold on a second. I could do this a lot quicker and on a much larger scale if we do it at my husband's canning company. So the the Gerber Canning Company, they used to just can vegetables. But after Sally Gerber had this great idea, they started to can strained vegetables and fruits, and they marketed it as baby food. Wow. All right. Way to go, Sally. I know. So good for Sally. So that's where we get started in the 1920s. And basically after that, baby food just explodes in popularity, specifically after World War II. That's when things really start to pick up, which makes sense, right? That's when we have the baby boomers. We have uh, a lot of economic wealth going on. People have disposable incomes. So baby food gets real, real popular. Women are finally like, oh, I don't have to spend all this time in the kitchen making this baby food. I can just go to the store and buy it. It's so convenient. Yes. Wonderful. (laughs) So they decide um, that they are going to use the convenience and just the mass production of baby food to make it really easy to feed their babies. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that is where we are now. So after World War II, they call it the golden age of baby food, which I just <laughs> thought was was amazing. Um, because I think, and you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but in a lot of things, then that's when sort of the convenience factor started to come in. And I think mass production was was new and it was exciting, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of things were being mass produced. And I think the thought was, it's better if you can buy it. It's better if it's mass produced. It's it's not so good if it's the natural way or the old way, I guess I should say. Yes. So breastfeeding, which is the natural way, the old way, uh, went way out of fashion at this point, which I, I kind of knew, but... Um, I, I think the rates dropped by a crazy amount. And I think 90% of babies were getting baby food from a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. So breastfeeding becomes like low class, a sign of lesser status, um, a sign that you weren't wealthy, mm-hmm. right? And also at that time, I think, is when breasts started to be really sexualized because we started to have a lot of advertising and media. So they were using, you know, sex cells. So now the breast was no longer for food for your baby. It was a sex object. So it became a big no-no in public. Nobody wanted to see that. So uh, mothers started to really feed their babies um, baby food instead to show their wealth, to show their status and to get away from the breastfeeding. So are you ready for this craziness? Yes. I'm going to hit you with something insane. Okay. (laughs) 
How young do you think they started feeding babies baby food after World War II when it got really popular? Uh, maybe like two months. You're close. Okay. A little earlier than that. Six weeks. Six weeks. Whew. Six weeks. Yes. <laughs> they were recommending that you start giving your baby baby food yeah. and like not necessarily cut out formula, but, you know, not really give as much of that. Really give your child fruits and vegetables starting at six weeks old. Wow. My baby is 12 weeks old and nowhere near ready to start solid foods. <laughs> no, no, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's a terrifying thought. And this is what everybody was doing. Mm-hmm. So that was a little scary to me, but there were no studies yet that showed that that was a bad thing. Yeah. And then, you know, there are all these advertisements coming out of these like jolly little tiny babies, like with their mashed peas and their their strained veggies and they're like holding their spoons and laughing. And so moms are seeing this and going, oh, well, my six, seven week old baby looks like that. I'm going to feed my baby these mashed peas, you know, and it's going to be great. Yep. So um, that was definitely uh, quite different than today and sort of blew my mind when I was uh, when I was researching this. And that went on for a really long time that they fed babies that young with baby food. And along with that, I think it was just the sooner you could feed your baby baby food, the sooner you could show people, your neighbors around you, that, oh, look at me, and I have the money to buy this baby food, and I have the status that goes along with this. It all ties into after World War II, we were a global superpower all of a sudden. And it was, I think, just a cultural shift that we could do that. So there was this sense that commercial baby food was like emblematic of our new status in the world as as a superpower. Yeah. And that also goes along with how motherhood is viewed through history. And I think that's something interesting that we can talk about, too, because motherhood at that time, I think, was very scientific. Uh, It was very much, this is what the doctor says, we need to listen to the doctor. This is what's being mass produced. This is the newest thing. It must be the best thing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Baby food is I'm using air quotes. You can't see me. Sterile. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Baby food is scientifically made, which is not really true. It's modern. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the good thing back then. And I think there has been a big shift in culture since then and in motherhood that, well, I really need to do my own research a little bit. And, you know, is this really the best thing for my baby just because it's the newest thing? There are tons of new things on the market for babies that are crazy. Yes, yes. Or or that really haven't been tested yet and because because they're so new, the the FDA hasn't stepped in, the, you know, American Pediatric Association hasn't stepped in. Like no one stepped in and and weighed in on it yet. So those things can just go out and be used, you know, without much, you know, oversight or anything. So, right. yeah, it's not always best to go with the newest thing. <laughs> Absolutely not. But they didn't know this and And they also didn't really do any studies back then. It was just, oh, this is the new thing. Everybody do this. Not, we should wait and study this and get it approved. No, no, no. (laughs) This is new and modern and exciting. So we're going to go with it. And that was really the way it was for, for a long time, probably till around the 70s. And I think the whole culture shift 
in the 70s, that whole counterculture vibe of, you know, questioning everything. You're questioning authority. You're questioning the government. You're questioning even science, you know, and everything you've been told. That went along with baby food. Uh, and there was a big backlash against the way baby food used to be made. So back uh, back in like the 50s, baby food was made just like any other canned item was made. Uh, it was made with a lot of salt, mm-hmm. a lot of sugar, Ooh. preservatives. Ooh, preservatives. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Thickeners. Oh, yum. <laughs> you know, and, and our favorite, our favorite, MSG. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Sign me up. (laughs) I know. Delicious, right? So, And people were just shoveling this into their babies because they didn't know. And then in the 70s, they are starting to look into, like, what is actually in this baby food? And is this really what I want to be giving my child? And so there becomes this huge consumer backlash against these big companies like Gerber. And the companies obviously at first kind of tried to fight back about it and didn't really want to change their ways. But eventually, if people are stopping, if people are going to stop buying your product, you're going to change. Yes. So they they really eliminated a lot of the salt and sugar in food, in baby food, and started to to make it uh, in a much more natural way, just kind of ste- you know steaming the vegetables and not adding a lot of extra things to it. And not adding thickeners, not adding preservatives to it and things like that. Um, they also got in trouble for using out-of-date jars. Oh, geez. Which is uh, always good. <laughs> uh, and they started looking at the ingredients that they were putting in things. Um, the other thing they stopped doing in the 70s, which I thought was hysterical, um, was they stopped making dessert baby food. <laughs> Did you know that they used to market dessert for babies? No. I, I couldn't find anything on exactly what that was but i can only imagine <laughs> yeah i'm sure it was like like cherry pie and right? you know like like fruit very sweet fruit things like peach With cobbler and you know tons like that kind of, of sugar stuff. i'm yes. sure yes 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 i'm sure tons and of like sugar. like what is the value of this i don't know but like i'm an adult and i have dessert after my fancy meal so i will give my baby uh-huh. dessert too oh exactly. no exactly oh. That's a theme that we see, um, especially I think in the um, in the '60s, leading into the '70s, maybe when they started to get this um, backlash from people, was companies were trying to say, "Hey, no, it's okay. Baby food is fine. It's just like what you would eat, but you know, mashed up." And some companies actually started advertising uh, in women's magazines mm-hmm. recipes for adults that use baby food as ingredients. <laughs> Have you ever – so here's a question. Have you ever eaten baby food as non-baby? No. <laughs> so when I <laughs> when I had my wisdom teeth out oh, when no. I was like 21, 20 or 21, I was like, oh, well – I want to still be able to eat food, but I won't be able to chew anything. I'll just get baby food. It's fine. No, Diane. No, it's oh, no. not fine. Baby food. I don't care what brand it is. I don't care. Like, it tastes vile. What, it tastes what vile. does it taste like? I, I, I can't describe like, it. Like, does it taste like the vegetable it's supposed to be? I think so. But because it's like, 
there are very few baby foods, at least. I, I mean, I guess now there are, like, because that was like 10 years, more than 10 years ago. But at that point, I don't think you saw all these brands where it was like just squash or just peas. You know, it was like all these mm. combinations. So it was like, you know, you get peas and corn and carrots all mashed together. And it just had this weird and everything had preservatives in it. And, and it was just, ugh. and now I think it's a little bit better. There are brands where it's, it's like, there's only one thing in it and it's carrots and that's it. And there's nothing right. else in that bottle. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's gotten better in that way. But, but man, I remember trying it and being like, this is, I can't, <laughs> I felt oh. really sick. I was like, this is gross. That is gross. So I, I, yeah, I've never been able to bring myself to to try it and i'm planning i say planning because you know plants change i'm planning on making my own baby food for uh my daughter rini when she's ready for um for solids if i have the time we'll see so i don't know if i'm gonna try commercialized baby food we will see if i buy a jar i feel like i have to try it yes i'm just like obligated to do so yeah if you're gonna put in your baby you know try it on yourself so I... So I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have more history or should we talk baby food? I have just a little bit more history. Excellent. Keep going. Um, yeah. So when they started to phase out things like this ridiculous dessert baby food and all this sugar and stuff, they started to to really do some research and studies into what should we be feeding our babies and how does this affect them later in life? And this is where things start to get really interesting because they have found uh, in recent research that your tastes actually start forming in the womb Mm -hmm. because the amniotic fluid takes on a taste of whatever the mother has been eating, whatever your diet is like. And so already from in utero, babies are starting to formulate preferences and their taste buds are starting to develop, which is like, what? Crazy, right? Yes. Oh, yes. So totally wild. And so then when babies have breast milk, breast milk is also flavored. It's naturally sweet. So babies have a preference for sweet. So if you start funneling this super sugary commercialized baby food into them, they're going to develop a real preference for sweet, salty, processed foods later in life. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was some study done. Um, I can't cite it. I don't remember exactly who did it. But um, I think it, it said that babies that eat, ate a lot of super processed baby foods that were very sugary or very um, salty, when they got off of baby foods, their number one vegetable was French fries. Oof. Because that's what they yes, like. Of course. Right? Yes. That's what they were conditioned to like. It's it's starchy, it's salty, it's mm-hmm. processed, it's delicious. Yeah. I will I will tell you my favorite food is French fries. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I will never turn them down. So No, never. I mean they're my absolute favorite food. <laughs> yeah. They're so good. So we have to be careful of that though with, with little babies, right? Yes, of course. Um and then the other thing that they're starting to notice, and this will take us to the present day, is like you said, they're not doing so many of these like weird combinations of a million vegetables because they're finding that babies need to try different textures and try different um, tastes to d- decide what they like later in life. So if you're just mashing up a million things together, when you go to give them a peas when they can actually eat pieces of food, mm-hmm. they don't know what that tastes like. Yeah. Because they haven't had just the strained mashed peas by itself. Mm-hmm. So when we get into present day baby food, they are starting to make different flavor combinations 
more simple flavor combinations. Also, they're coming out with fruits and vegetables you wouldn't have seen in the past, like mm-hmm. the, like mangoes and like, oh, yes. you know, fun, exciting, exotic purple things. potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, they're starting to do that. And so we're we're getting these like smaller boutique baby food companies coming mm-hmm. out that are actually competing with the big giants like Gerber. Yes. Which is pretty awesome. They're much smaller, but they're catering to what moms want. They want natural, they want simple, they want organic, but they still want the convenience of being able to buy something off the shelf. It's true. Right? It's true, yes. So so that's a big thing right now. And the other big thing that we're seeing is the new thing instead of jars, and maybe you can speak to this because you have older kids, mm-hmm. is pouches. Pouches. Yes. Yes. And that is kind of where baby food takes us today is we're getting out of the whole jars and into pouches that older babies can actually hold in their hands or you can squeeze it onto a spoon and just feed it to them. You don't have that messy jar. Yes. Yes. So I I have bought very few jars of baby food for so I have I have three children um the oldest is four then I have a three-year-old and then I have a 12-week-old and the 12-week-old obviously has only had breast milk so far and and isn't on to solid foods yet but the other two I I I didn't buy very many jarred foods the pouches are are interesting to me because Yes, they're more convenient for the baby and for the kid. The kid can hold it themselves. They can feed themselves. You can even buy these little adapters that twist onto the end that have a spoon on them. So you just squeeze the pouch and it puts the food directly onto the spoon. So it's like oh my God. they've thought of everything, you know. <laughs> so You can see my face right now. It's like I know. my it's mind like, is blown. Exactly. What? So um so yeah, but the the issue with pouches is that like with the glass jars, and this is I mean, I'm sure this will be a running theme within our show about my dislike of plastics. Um, the, <laughs> with a glass jar, you can recycle it and it can re- be recycled infinity times. Like you can just keep recycling glass until the cows come home. But with plastic, mm-hmm. you can maybe recycle that bad boy once and then that's it. It is just sitting in landfill because only like 10% of the earth's plastic is actually recycled. So <laughs> right. So all those bags just like ooh, make me crazy. But I recently invested in a set of refillable bags. Um, so they're just like a basically like a Ziploc, like they have a little zipper on them or a zippy guy. And you just either make your own baby food or if you wanted to, I suppose you could buy the glass, the, the glass jarred and then pour it in there. And then your kid has that squeezable pouch experience, but it's in a a thing you can put in your dishwasher or you can refill it over and over again. So it makes oh, me cool. feel a little bit less horrible about buying yeah. it. Because when we first had the kids, I wasn't so worried about plastic. Um, and I, I we went through hundreds of those pouches. It's like just so many. And they just go in the garbage. There's nowhere else I for know. them. It's so sad. So um, I exclusively made baby food for the kids until they were like a year or so old. So I'd take whatever it was. Sometimes it was stuff I had extra in my CSA or or I'd just go into the supermarket and buy a, like a pound of carrots or whatever. And you right. just throw them into the thing. It's, you put in some water, it steams them, and then it's a blender. And as soon as it's done being steamed, you just blend it. So, so, so easy. So it was really like it didn't take me much more time to do. And I felt a lot better about it because it was fresh food. It hadn't been in a jar or in a pouch for whoever knows how long. It was something that like I made it, 
that night and then the next morning and, you know, at daycare for that week, that's the food that the baby got. And so I felt really good about making the baby food. I think we have a KitchenAid baby food maker and bottle warmer. It does both. Aha! <laughs> um, Double duty. Oh, yes. So, um, so yeah, it was really great. I highly recommend making your own baby food. It's interesting that you say that. Yeah. Uh, it's because my husband, when I was pregnant, got me because I had said, oh, I'd like to make my own baby food. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a baby food maker, but uh-huh. I am a huge, huge crock pot person. Ah. I make everything in the crock pot. There you go. He got me this really cool um, cookbook for crock pot baby food recipes that Perfect. goes from like baby food for smaller babies, mm-hmm. like purees and stuff, uh, through when they get a little bit older. Um, and then it also has a whole section of recipes for you as mom and dad that are good to then puree yes. for your baby. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Just like ideas and things like that, which is really cool. So I'm very excited to try the crock pot. And that's, I think personally for me and from what you've said making our own baby food is is our choice but i don't want this to seem like i'm bashing commercialized baby food no, by saying it's oh great. it had it had all this <laughs> preservatives and this and that it doesn't have a lot of that stuff anymore no, it, it really doesn't, doesn't. um it's it's really quite good and the other thing that i found in my research that i hadn't thought of just one last thing to touch on about how baby food can be good is, um, you know, for some families who are maybe lower income or are in rural areas where there aren't a lot of supermarkets with fresh vegetables uh, and fresh fruit, sometimes that baby food that they get when they're small, that can be some of the only really good like fruits and vegetables that they're going to get for a while in their early life until they mm-hmm. go to school maybe and are getting school lunches. Yep. Um, and so it's really good for them to get that early on in the baby food when maybe mom and dad can't afford fresh fruits and vegetables, which I mean, I totally understand. Fresh fruits and vegetables are very expensive. Yes, it's true. So it's a it's actually a very good thing for people and it is fairly affordable now. Oh yeah. I remember going into the supermarket and there there was some sort of sale on them and we ended up getting I think it was like fifty pouches for like twenty five dollars. It was great. It was just great. And I was like, Yep, this is this is fantastic. They and I did taste those. Those were good. Those were really good, the ones in the pouches, because they're they're mm-hmm. more like a they're almost more like a smoothie. And there are some that are yogurt based too. So they they have that that creaminess and they were really very tasty. And the kids loved them. And you can get applesauce in pouches now and all sorts of things. So aside from the plastic issue, they're wonderful. And I, I would still use them today. I had I I love them that much that I would I would turn a blind eye to the plastic problem for like the the moment of enjoyment it gives me and my kids to like give them <laughs> a pouch right <laughs> so, exactly yeah they're really they're really quite good now so yeah I think it's it's a really interesting story the way we got to where we are today um, and I just wanted to I just wanted to leave you with one thing that I thought was funny in my mm-hmm. research okay. um, before we before we close up this uh, this topic what I thought was was funny was uh, one of the Gerber I guess um, flops of a product that they tried to market to people that people were just like, nah, I, I don't, I want nothing to do with this. Um, have you heard of the Gerber singles? No. Okay. So this was in, uh, 1974 and Gerber 
introduced what they called the Gerber Singles. Uh, they were individual jars of mushed meat. Oh, no. And they were aimed at uh, capitalizing on the idea that uh, adults had tasted their children's food and gone, hey, that's not half bad. And it's really simple to just open a jar. So maybe I want to eat this too, but I don't want just strained vegetables. I want protein and meat. So they came out with this mushed meat to market to adults. Oh, no. <laughs> which like nothing about that. Know your place, adults. Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about that. And then, like, the fact – this was in the article I read, and I just thought this was hysterical. So this is a quote from the article. But the fact that they labeled it as singles is really, like, rubbing salt in the wounds of, like, maybe single people who are only cooking for one. And it's oh, like, no. you don't deserve real food. Eat this jar of mushy <laughs> oh, meat. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I was – when I was doing my my research for diapers, one of the – the things in a lot of the advertisements for diapers was they were partnered with baby food um, advertisements, like on the same page. It was like, hey, your baby's going to eat and then they're going to poop, you know? Right. So, so a lot of these things were together. And I remember seeing an ad for Heinz, I think, for like, it, it just said like <laughs> pureed meat. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No, no, no. Delicious. <laughs> gross. So gross. So gross. But I just thought that was that was hysterical that, mm -hmm. you know, they were like, hey, babies like this. We should totally market this towards adults. And it's like, no, mm -mm. stick with what you're good at. Yeah. This is, just, just stay in your lane, Gerber, please. Stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I found this really fascinating. And I, I do want to give a shout out to... Um, the author Amy Bentley, who's a food historian, which how cool is that, that that's a thing. A lot of my research, it came from different websites and articles and books, but a lot of it came from her book and interviews with her. Her book is called Inventing Baby Food, Taste, Health, and the Industrialization of the American Diet. Ooh. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, I just read clips of it, but it's really interesting. And there was it's an interview with her, I, I think, it was uh, the Atlantic published mm -hmm. this interview with her. Um, and she kind of takes you through the whole history uh, of baby food post-industrial revolution. And it's really, really fascinating. And she makes it very simple and easy to understand. Um, so Amy Bentley, thank you. You were very informative. It was, uh, <laughs> it was fun to take this journey with you. Excellent. So, yeah. <laughs> it's excellent. Thank you for your, your research into this topic. It's yeah. fascinating. It was pretty fun, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So this is a quote from clearly my new favorite person who I wish was my best friend, uh, Amy Bentley, who wrote this splendid book um, about the history of baby food. It's a product, like many products, with a series of trade-offs. If you're gaining convenience, you may be sacrificing control over quality or taste or nutrition. If you want to make your own baby food, then you're sacrificing your time. But it's complex because a lot of women get pleasure out of making their own baby food. Just as we joke about baking cookies being a symbol of a mother's love, well, preparing baby food can be a symbol of a mother's love. But not all women want to do that, or not all women can do that. So I think this anxiety embedded in feeding one's children is constant over the entire story of baby food. Oh, so good, Amy. I mean, she's right. She is right. It's such a, a personal choice and it it feels way more emotional than it should. It's just baby food. 
I know. But yeah, almost everything feels way more emotional than it should when it comes to your baby, especially your first baby. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I thought that really summed it up for us really well. Yes, I think that's Mm -hmm. perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you, Diane, for your research. Thank you, Amy, for your research. Mm -hmm. Some quick housekeeping things for our listeners. Our website is opdwpodcast.com. And on there, you'll find show notes. And for today's episode, Diane will be putting up the resources that she used to do her research. She'll link to Amy's book. And you can find us all over the place on social media at OPDW podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Be our friend. Um, yes. Be our friend. Like <laughs> us, subscribe to the show, provide a review for the show, all that other good stuff. So um, all of those things would, would make us very happy. Yay. So Diane, until next time, don't feed your baby MSG. Oh, and one last thing, a huge thank you to Theo Rosenberg for composing and recording all of the music for our show. Thanks, Theo.